How many of you know Dr. Mary Spaulding? A smattering, good. Well, she asked me if I would introduce her tonight and let you know just a few facts about her to get acquainted, and I thought that was a great idea, so I've got my little cheat sheet up here, and I'm going to share some with you tonight. Uh, she is our guest speaker, and we're glad to have her on this closing chapel this week. God has blessed us all through this week with wonderful speakers and with his own presence, and I feel like that's continuing tonight. Mary has been an adjunct professor of biblical studies and theology at Nazarene Bible College since 1999. She's taught many Nazarene pastoral training institutes at Bible colleges and universities, get this, around the world. She is an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene and has an earned doctorate in biblical studies from the University of Manchester through Nazarene Theological College in England. Y'all know where that's at, right? Dr. Spaulding's greatest academic joy has been serving pastoral students in Africa where, get this, she has taught in 10 countries during the last two decades. Top that one. <laughs> it is, I believe, an honor to hear her tonight, and we are honored to have her as our speaker. So I would ask that you welcome her and give your attention to her as she shares the word tonight. Okay, well, yes, it's on, all right. Oh, I hope most of you were here last evening when we had Professor Attic share about his life story, a part of it, and I just felt like we really were on holy ground. Yes, last evening. What a blessing his life is for all of us. Wow. My sharing this evening is going to be a little different. Uh, I would not be at all surprised if my message may be a challenge for some of you as to thinking about uh, an idea you all know, but we'll be thinking about it in a different way. And I hope that is all right with you, that we challenge our thinking. Sometimes questions raised are as important as answers given. So I pray that this message is an offering that will be acceptable to our Lord. All right. Let's see if it works. Ah, it does. All right. Nazarene pastor in Africa uses a particular illustration to explain our total devotion to God. In Africa, if someone has purchased a dog for protection and brings that dog home to his or her compound to live, it's very important that you tie that dog for a considerable time. Otherwise, the dog will just run back to its old home because this new place seems so strange, so unpredictable, so difficult, so frightening. The old home was what the dog knew. But once the dog has become accustomed to the new home, habituated to this strange place, then the dog no longer needs the rope. The dog understands that this is his home now, and it's happy to stay there. 
the dog is now devoted to its new owner and master. And here, in fact, we have a very relaxed dog in his, her home compound. This is a useful illustration for describing our process of sanctification. If we commit fully to Christ but do not tie ourselves tightly to that new life we have entered through him, we can find ourselves being tempted back into our old life, into those sinful patterns of familiar behavior and habits of our former existence and our surrounding culture. What does tie us with a strong rope to Christ? What will keep us on our journey towards God, not permitting us to return to what seems to be comfortable or familiar, but is actually dangerous to our abiding in our eternal home with Christ? Among those helpful ropes that we have, we all know that Scripture is vital. So we're going to turn to Scripture now to ask ourselves if we are tethered solidly to the Word of God. And we are going to be reading from a passage I am sure you all are familiar with. And I'm beginning us just a little ways into it. Uh, as you would know if you started right at the beginning, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And so this is the section we're going to look at. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Now we'll skip down to 35. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The reason I've chosen this particular passage is because of the enormity of what Jesus asks of us here. Loving our enemy. I believe it's almost impossible to accomplish this in the manner Jesus desires without a full commitment to him. Jesus says, love your enemy and do good to them, even when they do evil to you. 
Now, we all are aware that Christians are summoned to the task of not just speaking a platitude, but of acting upon it and showing forth the character of God into the world through these actions. And I would contend that the character of God is nowhere more decisively revealed to the world than in the practice of loving our enemies. When we respond to their hostility with our surprising, unexpected, overwhelming mercy and grace. Let me give you just one example of this. In October 2006, a shooting occurred at an Amish one-room schoolhouse in Pennsylvania. Gunman Charles Roberts took hostages. He shot eight young Amish girls, killing five before committing suicide in the schoolhouse. A witness to the Amish community's reaction exclaimed, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive and not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. Amish community members visited and comforted Robert's widow, parents, and parents-in-law. They set up a charitable fund for the family of the killer. About 30 members of the Amish community attended Robert's funeral, and his widow, Marie Roberts, was one of the few outsiders invited to the funeral of one of the victims. Marie Roberts wrote an open letter to the Amish community. Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately needed. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and into the world. It's changed our world. Now, lest you think this was just a case of refusing to place blame on the family for an individual's transgressions, be aware that on the day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the victims was heard warning a few young relatives not to hate the killer, saying, we must not think evil of this man. The reaction of love and forgiveness to an act of extreme violence was discussed in the American media extensively at that time, most of whom were incredulous at this outpouring of communal love. The news media seldom have that opportunity to witness to a love of one's enemies that can lead to peace or reconciliation. Instead, you know, we see the headlines every day blurring out words and acts of hatred, of violence, of war. Where is the peace in our world and in our country? Why is there so much anger, and hatred all around us. I've recently read a book that helps to explain its presence among us. It is titled, Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman. Thurman was an African-American pastor, theologian, and educator who wrote this book in the 1940s as a manifesto to oppressed Christians everywhere. 
but particularly to the African Americans of his generation. Is it radical? I believe yes. Does it call black people to take up arms or words against those white folk? No, it does not. Instead, Thurman talks about the three hounds of hell. These three hounds, the track, the trail of the disinherited and oppressed. It's their own fear, deception, and hatred. We must listen and take heed, for there is among us right now, right here in this room, those who are disinherited, denigrated, perhaps even oppressed in their lives. Are we listening to their voices? And too often, we who are not oppressed are the ones doing the oppression, whether we're conscious of that or not. As we saw in our Lucan passage, Jesus levied pretty harsh words on those in positions of honor and respect in his society, the rich, who were not reaching out to the poor and the disinherited. Let us open our own eyes and look around. Thurman's message, though focused fully on a particular people group, who was at that time, and is still today, marginalized in many ways, contains important insights for all Christians. Not only does it give us insight into the mindset of individuals who may be caught in abusive situations in their daily life, or those people who are part of justice movements like Black Lives Matter, but it also can help us understand the origin of violent groups such as ISIS and others who move from a sense of being oppressed by powerful forces beyond their control to becoming the oppressors. First is the hound of fear. Thurman reminds us that Deep fear arises out of the sense of isolation and helplessness in the face of the many dimensions of repeated violence to which the underprivileged are exposed. Fear becomes the safety device with which the oppressed surround themselves in order to build up some measure of protection for their self or for their group. They fear those who are threatening them, and therefore they act differently towards them in order to protect their own existence. Oppression by another leads one to question one's own identity. Who am I? What am I? If our identity is not firmly and fully grounded in Christ, this basic reaction of fear when one's identity is threatened is a powerful motivator for the following two hounds. Second is the hound of deception. One deceives someone who has power over oneself <clears throat> in an attempt to assuage that authority, to maintain or obtain some semblance of personal rights and self-dignity perhaps deceiving the other 
in order simply to remain alive. Thurman points out how dangerous this is. A person who lies habitually for whatever reason increasingly loses the ability to know when he or she is lying. Lies become their truth. Their life becomes a lie. <laughs> From whom do we hear lies today? Certain people in the media, in the government, from our spouse, from ourselves? Why does someone feel threatened enough to lie? Third is the hound of hatred. There seems to be good that can come from hating an enemy. Hatred of those who despise and demean us may help restore belief in our own significance. It may seem to justify our identity and self-worth. It may even protect us from physical annihilation. Hatred has almost universal appeal during a time of war or national crisis, whether one is among the oppressed or the oppressors. If we hate the enemy, we believe that hatred will immunize us from a loss of moral self-respect, as we do to the enemy what is demanded of us in order to successfully prosecute the war against them. But, Thurman states, no matter how much good seems to come from hating an enemy, ultimately, hatred destroys the core of the life of the Hater. Jesus knew that. He could see these three monsters, fear, deception, hatred, eating away at the disinherited people around him every day. He was a Jew living under harsh Roman rule. His group was the disinherited, fearful of Roman, Rome's ruthlessness deceiving the Romans with compromise while some were building the machinery for revolt against them, and hating the occupiers who planted soldiers even around the Temple Mount itself. Fear, deception, hatred. It's into this crucible that Jesus was born and offered his teachings to all who would listen. Now, those in positions of privilege or authority who too often use that position consciously or not to demean or denigrate those with less privilege, they too can be caught up in these three hounds, perhaps for other reasons, but always with the same result. The damage, even possibly destruction of one's own soul. Hence, Jesus' teachings are applicable, not just insightful to all of us. And he taught us, do not fear. Over and over we hear that in Scripture. Do not fear. Do not fear people. Do not fear circumstances. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10. Do not deceive. That was number two. Do not deceive. Let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, 
anything beyond these is of evil. Matthew 5. And finally, do not hate. Love and do good to those who hate you. Do good. But what can we do? It begins, first of all, within ourselves, with forgiveness. Yes, forgiving those who have injured us, but if we have hated another for any reason, we must also go to the Lord and ask His forgiveness of us and ask for the strength to forgive ourselves. Then we must seek the good of the human enemy. Thurman contends that good is most often discovered and lived out through relationship. Jesus offered relationship to and fellowship with the human enemies of his own identity group, the Jews. Think about the healing Jesus did for the slave of a Roman centurion. The Romans were the hated occupiers. Think about his conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. And then Jesus lived among the Samaritans for two more days afterwards. Samaritans were considered terrorists by the Jews. Think about his sharing a conversation with a Zacchaeus and then a meal and an evening with him, that tax collector. Tax collectors were seen as traitors, collaborating with the Roman enemy to oppress their own people. These were all the enemies of the Jews. Jesus said, love those who hurt you or oppress you. Love those who might endanger you. And then he did just that. By loving through actions, we always hold out the hope that our love will change the other person. But I can guarantee you that love will change us, will move us toward Christ-likeness. Yeah. There is also the reality that loving the enemy can cause our death. It caused the death of Jesus. When one takes a stand to love the enemy in reality, not just with words, the threat to one's health and life certainly can come from the enemy one is trying to reach. But it can also come from within one's own identity group. Jesus was a Jew speaking to Jews about God. His view of God was so different than the prevailing views among the Jewish movers and shakers of his time that they turned on him. They persecuted him. They turned him over to the Romans to be killed. He was a traitor to God in their eyes. Now, persecuting God's messengers had taken place before in Jewish history, as Jesus himself stated in our Luke 6 passage. But the history of Christianity reveals that we, too, are capable of doing the same. Loving the enemy. 
I hear voices of fear and hostility toward the other among Christians in America today. Voices of anger. Oh, we are behind. I'm sorry. It didn't go through. Sorry about that. Okay. Ah, voices of anger among people of different races. I ask white Christians, since that is what I am, have you shared deeply enough in fellowship with people of color to understand how our skin color alone can result in privilege if it's white or in prejudice if it's a different hue in our society? I myself have just begun that journey of discovery. I hear Christian voices against the Latino or the Muslim immigrants seeking asylum here because of their own fears and not because of their hostility towards us. I would ask those Christian voices, have you formed a relationship with an immigrant? I hear Christian voices against those with a different sexual orientation than our own. Have we ever befriended a gay person? And yes, voices of hatred against the terrorists who mean us great harm, but whom we may never meet face-to-face -face in relationship. Can we not trust the words of Jesus that we should love all of these human beings? How else do we live out God's kingdom and character on earth if we are no different than those who despise us? If we return their hatred of us with our own, if we return their violence against us with our own, a divine love that returns evil with acts of good and mercy is dangerous. But it is, it is also the balm for our souls that will bring us true peace. We may not always be able to face our human enemy directly, but through our deep-seated desire to love, we do express our devotion to the Lord, and we are changed as a result. When I taught a similar message in Sierra Leone after 10 years, yes, that's my group, after 10 years of civil war in that country, one of the Nazarene pastors in training in my class came up to me afterwards, and he was visibly shaken. He pulled up his pants leg to show me the wooden peg leg that extended from his knee through his foot. During the Civil War, an enemy group had arrived in his village to round up all the young men by force in order to recruit them for fighting. He said, I refuse to go. I would not fight for them. As other men held me down, 
One took a machete and chopped at my leg until it was cut off. Then they did not have to fear that I would be able to fight against them. I have lived every day since then hating the man who did that to me. As tears streamed down his face, he said, I realize I can never tell that man that I have forgiven him because I will never see him again in this earth. But I have now forgiven I am finally free of that hatred. I am finally free to live for God. Such freedom is available to us all. Rejoice that we can move from victim to victor in Christ. Remember the dog and the rope? Let us unloose ourselves if we have tied our rope and our sanctification to a yoke that is not entirely biblical, habituating ourselves to words or deeds that are not fitting of our Savior. Let us place ownership of ourselves in a compound that we can truly call home to serve an owner who will not fail us, God himself. As we do this, let us not fear other humans, but let us fear and rever God who alone holds our eternal life in his hands. And above all, let us love. Yes, it's on there. (laughs) Oh, good. May we pray together. Lord, how grateful we are for the freedom to love that we have received through you. Help us to embrace that freedom fully. We ask for your mercy and forgiveness if we have oppressed or denigrated another in any way. We ask for your bountiful courage if we find ourselves living in fear. We ask for your firm truth if we have employed deceit to build our own self-worth. We ask for your deep abiding love if we have surrendered ourselves in any way to bitterness or hatred. Finally, we ask that you make us an instrument of your peace, reaching out into that woeful darkness with your unfailing light. In the name of the one who has shown us the way to life everlasting. Amen. Anyone who would like to come forward to pray or talk further with me afterwards, I will be happy to do so. Everyone else, I believe you are dismissed for class. Thank you.